Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Folks, wherever the heck in the world you are, it's V the Girl Economist coming to you live on this edition. V for Fellas, we have the man of the hour. He needs no introduction. It's the one and only Velas. Uh, you can find him over at the Discord. If you need to get on the Discord, you can email CJ or you can uh, email support at roguenews.com, support at roguenews.com. Um, and also uh, check out roguenews.com. The website has been exploding. The numbers and the traction we've been getting have been incredible. So whatever the heck our, back to, our background uh, development team has been doing, it is working in a major, major way. I'm shocked to see how good the traffic has been. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Daily, uh, uh, you know, every day people coming in, checking out the videos, reading the articles. Phenomenal. Roguenews.com. It was our hope to always make that the central jump-off point for all things, and that's what it is. Uh, folks, yesterday's uh, um, um, shows that we did, uh, even the early weeks, so they're all posted. They're all posted on roguenews.com. You can go there right now. Uh, everything is up there, so go check it out. And with that being said, Velas, good morning, buddy. How are you? Good morning, V. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I mean, I can't complain. I mean, I could complain, but who's going to listen? <laughs> <laughs> Not the government. Not the government for sure, man. Velas, lots of things are, are going on, and we are moving at breakneck speeds, to say the least, man. Breakneck speeds. We, Where do you want to begin? Yeah, we are. And uh, very good show yesterday, folks, for those of you that caught it or those of you that may want to catch it. There was a roundtable yesterday that V hosted with uh, CJ and a number of other folks that are our periodic guests here at Rogue, except for Matthew Garrett, who's here weekly. Uh but a very balanced, a very good roundtable on the events uh, in Ukraine. I'm not going to weigh in on that one today because it's just so fluid. I need, I need some time. I will say I, I concur with definitely. I was, I was even going to bring this up today. You know, I don't want to use the word shock. That's not the right word. But, but many of us were surprised. We, we had thought that Russia would stop at the two oblasts uh, mm -hmm. regions there in the east of Ukraine, rather than go for the whole. The whole enchilada, as it were. So obviously, we had a lot more going on behind the scenes in Ukraine than was available through either extrapolation or publicly available information. And we'll just have to see how that turns out. Something did pop up on the news today that I thought was rather interesting was uh, the date of Russia's move into Ukraine was the, the 22nd uh, of February. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting because. Uh, it was the 22nd of February in 2014 when the pro-Russian Ukrainian leader Yanukovych was was forced out of government. Oh wow! So so uh, you know Russia has its symbolisms with with uh, with dates as well. So the anniversary of the Maidan, they begin their denazification of Ukraine. Well, yeah, the anniversary of the end of the Maidan and and his being forced from power, but you know. It kind of reminds me of, of the line from Dr. Strangelove where the Russian ambassador says, says something like, I will, not, I will not smoke cigars from American stooge countries. And the American 
in the bomb shelter looks at him and says, oh, you only smoke cigars from your stooge countries. Um, <laughs> you know, Russia's, uh, Russia's guy was removed and Europe put their guy in. And uh, Russia's patience has been, has been uh, reached its limits. Um, yeah, and it's, it's funny, too, because, you know, now that Joe gets shoved in front of the cameras without prep or uh, uh, copious doses of, of Adderall, um, you know, he's saying things without his handlers uh, putting the three by five card in him. So yesterday we had to make his comment where, where he just kind of, uh, what do you call it, in a passive way, said, said yeah, we never expected sanctions would work. Uh, which led, led Jen Psaki this morning to state that that's not what the president meant. Um, she's also looking for a new job, by the way. The rumor is that she's going to take over for, for Rachel Maddow at MSNBC. Oh, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. What's going to happen with Madcow? She's, gone, she's on her way out or she's going somewhere else? I don't know what's going on with her. Um, uh, you know, it may be that she also has had enough. Who knows? I, you know. This wouldn't be the first time that someone who has a prior uh, history working with an intelligence organization, and I'm speaking of Jen Psaki, because she did some work for an Israeli intelligence organization before she took her current job. Yep. Uh, she was working with Blinken. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're experts. Yes. They were ex- they're experts in all things defense and tactical and military related. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is a, another moment, folks, for me to bring up my, my, uh, my often repeated... Uh, historical reference in, in academia, especially in international affairs study and political science study, there's what's known as the Gabriel Almond effect. Mm. And what that refers to is, is that one of the top academics that was advising the white house, both under Eisenhower and under Kennedy and later under Johnson, as it related to Southeast Asian policy was a professor by the name of Gabriel Almond. I forget which university he was with. But he was one of the foremost experts on Southeast Asia. Yeah. And so the U.S. government followed heavily, not entirely, but, but heavily his, his advice and counsel. And many years later, Allman's graduate students came back from being in Southeast Asia, particularly after the Tet Offensive, and asked him, sir, have you ever actually been to Vietnam? He's like, no, yeah. I just relied on the body of scholarly work. <laughs> University of Chicago, man. That's where. Yeah. Is. And, uh, you know, they were like, holy shit. And I mean, and mm-hmm. honest to God, folks, I mean, this this is literally what I was told by my own professors in graduate school for uh, master's number one in international affairs, which which was sponsored by Air Force Intelligence, no less. Um, all of our professors were like this. This is what caused a major divide between academia and government for years, because it's like, you know, not only was it McNamara, but holy shit, we, we had academics advising us on Southeast Asia, whose, whose experience was entirely based on, well, I've read every article there is on the topic. I've read everything. I know, I know what it is. And, and that is, that's what you find all over the Western hemisphere, my friend, all over the West. That's you you, you do. And it also goes to the thing about, uh, you know, and I, I had, uh, a classmate at, at my MBA program make the comment to one of our professors, which which I thought was interesting because it was a very good program and very good classmates and so on and, and good professors. But one of my classmates, because I was in in what's called an EMBA program, you know, an executive MBA program, like you've been working for a while. You didn't just walk right out of your bachelor's degree into a, a master's in business. 
so we'd all had some some mileage on the odometer working for companies and things or, or state and federal agencies as case may be and one of my classmates said i don't want any professor in this program to talk to me unless they've at least run three businesses or three organizations into the ground i don't want to talk to anybody who all they've ever done is teach in academia or all they've ever known is i ran one successful company i want to talk to people who've screwed shit up because that's the only goddamn way you really learn anything yep is from people who've, who've been there and said god i wouldn't do that again <laughs> so it's kind of, you know international affairs is not the place you want to do that but i'm just making a point can you pull up the uh the meme uh v uh, joe biden yeah and hello hobo hello revolutionary bliss hello biden sucks stuff right, and ronan and all the rest of you out there I can't blow it up, but here we go. It's it's having a, a trouble. Um, it's having a senior moment. Yeah, it's having. See, it's it's pretty bad. Let okay, me, let me. Let me, let me what, you're, what you're it, looking at is it's Joe Biden. It says the face you make when Russia invades the country that laundered your money. Yep. And I also exactly. posted that over on on Discord. So I'm gonna start this this Friday with the, the weekly memory hole, and and uh, I don't think I've done this before. So I want to start first by saying. How many of you know what the origination of the term memory hole is? Uh, it was from Orwell's book, Orwell. 1984, where there's a shoot that would run from people's offices to an incinerator so that there was no chance of unwanted documents or information being uh, intercepted. So memory hole, the first memory hole item, uh, is it just me? Uh, or did we forget about all the sick elderly folks in New York and other states who were crammed into those retirement communities to hurry along the COOF death process. Correct. Uh, has anyone been prosecuted for that yet? No, because no. we're focusing on sex scandals in New York and war in Ukraine rather than wholesale murder. Um, we also have the CEO, Aaron Valenti, of a company called Tinker Ventures. Uh, her application design company was called Tinker Ventures, and she previously was the director of product development at Overstock. Uh, they found her dead in the backseat of a rental car in Silicon Valley after she traveled to California from her native Utah in early October of 2019 to attend a conference. Wow. Her, her husband, interestingly, was a psychologist, which relates to the following, because both he and her family said she had no history of mental illness, no excess drug use or anything else before she disappeared on October 7th. Family and friends started receiving unusual phone calls from her where she was speaking in, in rapid and kind of staccato sentences. The results of the autopsy, natural causes with possible contribution from a manic episode, which elicits a what the hell for me because she's 33 years old and in good health. The comments oh, she made to her, her parents included, and I quote, mind control is really neural control, unquote. And then the big one most people have heard of, uh, and quoting again, it's all a game. It's a thought experiment. The machines are in control. This is all a form of the matrix, unquote. Hmm. Some people believe she may have been the victim of a brainwave type attack. Some of those that have been occurring at our embassies. The other thing, too, is, is that the conference she attended is kind of wonky, and the people who do it are like folks who, who train executives how to handle, you know, high-stress situations through unique you know, approaches and things like that. A lot of folks have said they do some kind of weird shit at these conferences. The other thing to keep in mind too, is the company she worked for previously, Overstock. That's mm. the company where the former CEO, Patrick Byrne, right. said a couple of years ago, he'd been involved in political espionage before he stepped down. Correct. 
We also do not know what happened. Uh, there were some articles that popped up recently again about Philip Haney. He was the, the DHS whistleblower, career Fed guy, uh, who wrote a book about uh, See Something, Say Nothing, I think is what it was called. Um, he was about to publish his second book, which was supposed to actually name names, unlike have some vague generalities in his first book um, about what was going on in government. And then, you know, they found him dead on the side of the road. And of course, as I've often said, naming names will often get you an appointment with a nail gun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and then, of course, we have my, my, normal, my normal favorites. Uh, the Nashville thermobaric explosion in December 2020, we have no answer. The French OVH cloud hosting firm, the data center fire in March of 2020, we have no answer. Michael Hay-
breaks. Front page, Washington Post tomorrow. Oh, well, yeah, no, that's not good. Okay. Just gotta distract him. Gotta listen two weeks till the election. What in the world would do that? What in the world would do that? Well, I'm working on it. Uh, I'm working on it. To go for smart bomb falling down a chimney, 2,500 missions a day, 100 days. One video of one bomb, Mr. Moss. The American people bought that war. Mm -hmm. War is show business. You want me to produce your war? Not a war, it's a pageant. We need a theme, a song, some visuals. We need, you know, it's a pageant. It's a, it's, it's a pageant. It's a pageant, that's what it is. Country's a war. It's Miss America and your bird parks. Why Albanian? Because, well, they have to have something we want. Well, I'm sure they do. What do we have that they want? Oh, well, freedom? Well, why would they want that? <laughs> no, 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 fuck freedom. They want to they wanna destroy the godless Satan of the United. They want to destroy our way of life, all right? Albanian terrorists have placed a suitcase bomb in Canada in an attempt to infiltrate the bomb into the USA. Oh, that's good. The president's going to go to war with Albania in about 30 minutes. And we're in Albania? No, we're not declaring war. We're going to war. We haven't declared war since the Second World War. We're going to war. The President of the United States has said that he apologizes for the need for secrecy, and he assures that it is necessary for the safety of the men and women in combat. He says that the Republic of Albania, long a staging ground for terrorism around the world, he is mentioning that a state of war is or is about to happen between the United States and the Republic of Albania. Do you know who we are? I'm afraid that's the trouble, Miss Ames. <laughs> Two things I know to be true. There's no difference between good flan and bad flan. And there is no war. We show, and NSA confirms, there are no nuclear devices on the Canadian border. There are no nuclear devices in Albania. Albania has no nuclear capacity. Our spy satellites show no secret terrorist training camps in the Albanian hinterland. The Border Patrol, the FBI, the RCMP report no, repeat, no untoward activity along our picturesque Canadian border. The Albanian government is screaming its defense. The world is listening. There is no war. Of course there's a war. I'm watching it on television. The spy satellites show it, Mr. Breen. They show no war. Then what good are they if they show no war? I mean. What are we spending a quarter trillion dollars a year on the Defense Department? What good are they if they show nothing? And what are they useless? Are they just broke or what? I mean, what is? It? If there's no threat, then where are you? Let me go. You one more. If there's no threat, what good are you, Mr. Breen? You are the threat. I'm the threat. I am the threat. Well, what have I been doing the last thirty years that you haven't been doing? You want to fill me in on that? The last thirty years, Mr. Breen, I have been working to ensure the security of my country. As oh, have I'm sure we all. And I'm going well to point out that the security parents, of this country. But if forced to choose between the security of your country the and the security of, security of, of your job, which would you pick? Not... And while you hesitate, permit me to suggest that they are one and the same: your country and your job. I'm doing my job, Mr. Breen. That's what you see me no, doing. I'm doing my job. That's what you were doing. I'm doing my job too. And let me ask you something. Let me ask you a simple question: Why do people go to war? Why do they go to war? I'll play your silly game. Okay, why do they go to war? To ensure their way of life. Would you go to war to do that? I have. And if you went to war again, who would it be against? Huh? Your ability to fight a two-ocean war against who? Who? Sweden and Togo? That time has passed. It's over. The war of the future is nuclear terrorism. It is, and it'll be against a small group of dissidents who, unbeknownst perhaps to their own governments, have blah, 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 blah. And to go to that war, you have to be prepared. You've got to be alert. The public has got to be alert, because that is the war of the future. And if you're not gearing up to fight that war, 
and eventually the axe will fall and you're going to be out in the street. And you could call this a drill, you could call this job security, you could call it anything you like. But I got one for you. You said go to war to preserve your way of life. Well, Chuck, this, this is your way of life. And if your spy satellites don't see nothing, if there ain't no war, then you can go home and prematurely take up golf, my friend. Because there ain't no war but ours. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Because you need a war and I got one. Yeah. Ain't no war but ours. <laughs> Dad uh, Solo 17 about Charles Ortel. You were referencing the Clinton Foundation filings. Yeah. Charles Ortel has got a real, uh, a real, I don't want to say that on the air. Uh, he's got real excitement over the Clinton Foundation. I've seen a lot of his videos and stuff. He's He's been fighting a one-man war against the Clinton Foundation the records but yeah that clip folks i mean jesus it's, it's there <laughs> i'll start my political science uh class with that one um edward dowd uh has been making the rounds uh lately he's a former blackrock manager and he did a show with mike moore and the woman whistleblower from pfizer who at the time when mike moore had that program she was not yet identified and was was trying to stay low since then, the two of them have done a number of uh, interviews and things, and that says several things. The first is, is that obviously Mike Moore's program is growing in its footprint and in its influence, given the fact that shortly after they appeared on his program, what happened was is a number of private equity firms, insurance companies, and others uh, all began um, asking, dare I say, demanding, and let's be candid, equally paying them for their time to appear and speak to their research teams and the boards of those firms so that they could adjust their portfolios relative to pharmaceutical investments. Dowd made a comment recently that stuck with me, and he's very much a facts guy. Um, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's not into speculation, and I get that because being a former BlackRock manager, I can understand that he's all about the numbers. He acknowledged during an interview I saw recently that, that forms of conspiracies exist, but he didn't want to acknowledge them without the facts. He said this week, and I'm quoting, if I believe there is a reason for much of what is going on, the sovereign debt crisis is so bad and the damage to the global economy is so dire, you need a series of crises to hide it, or at least obfuscate it. And of course, he reiterated and said, if, if indeed there's, there's a goal, he said it's, in his opinion, one of the bigger contributing reasons is to hide the degree of the sovereign debt crisis. And, you know, it's, it's funny because even on the pan panel we had yesterday, one of the uh, rogue guests had, had brought up something I've mentioned in the last two shows, which is this thing about U.S. debt to GDP is 133% and Japan's debt to GDP is 257%. And when I was studying the IMF and the World Bank in graduate school and, and um, the impacts in South America, you know, predominantly in South America of um, the loans and the, the declarations by Mexico and other countries that they could no longer pay and so on, those, those countries' GDP to debt ratios were, were still in single digits. I mean, it was high. It was like 67%, sometimes a little higher, but, but not the levels we're seeing, you know, uh, modern advanced Western economies trying to carry right now, which which begs something's going to happen. Just a reminder again, I, I brought this up on last Friday's show, Sunday the 27th. That's this Sunday. We'll have a conference call with one of our 
Discord experts on a number of legal items. Uh, there was a very good kind of pre-session on Sunday the 20th, and he'll be walking anybody who attends that call through tools available to you legally, whether local government, employers, school boards, and such. Uh, just a reminder, bring a notebook, because these are basically, you know, it's an open conference call. We don't record them. It's not going to be on Twitch or anything like that. It'll start at 6 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock Eastern, again on Sunday the 27th. So you open your Discord page in your browser, scroll through the channels uh, on the left-hand side to the voice channel section towards the bottom, and you'll see an option that says meeting room. Just click that, and your computer will automatically log you in. You can wear headphones or use the audio on your PC. That's fine. Everybody's welcome to attend that. Just just mute, please, if you would, if you're not speaking, so we can cut down on the, the background noise. So the main thing I wanted to cover today were some thoughts on Donald Trump and the election in 2020, as well as some of the um, things concerning Durham. And I know we've been having kind of a vigorous discussion as well on the, on the Discord channels, Phil's uh, channel in particular, about the, about the Durham item. So I'm going to start here. Um, Donald Trump is one of the few Gentiles in New York real estate who's been successful. Now, that's not an anti-Semitic statement in the slightest. It just is. I would say the same thing if you're successfully operating more than one diner in New Jersey and you're not Greek, uh, or if you're a senior executive in IT offshore services who's not of East Indian extraction. It's just the reality of those industries and so on. So how did Trump pull that off and for such a, a lengthy period of time? Now, at a high level, and I'm oversimplifying, He's always had very great uh, and, and effective intelligence data. Now, how do we know that? Well, there's several sources, not the least of which is, again, Mike Moore, True Pundit, because he wrote about it in his book and he said it on his show that when Moore was still running his um, private security and intelligence services firm before he had his run-in with the FBI, he'd actually been providing intel data to Donald Trump's competitors in real estate. And Moore's comment was, is that he felt that the people Trump had working for him and had had working for him for many years were, were some of the best Mike Moore had ever encountered. And there's a number of other sources that, that point this out. And I've mentioned as well, you know, whether you're a billionaire or you're somebody with hundreds of millions of dollars, people in that level of wealth tend to operate like major corporations or even foreign governments with their own intelligence assets. There's firms out there. They don't... <laughs> They don't really advertise, nor, nor do they need to. It's more of a word of mouth thing among, among the wealthy. But the more wealth you have, the bigger the target you are, period. Everybody is out to exploit or use you. Um, you know, I made mention on a prior show that there were some people I know from, from two or three high net worth families that had said that, you know, whether they came into wealth or always had it, um, one of the top things was to immediately set up limited liability corporations for every member of the family. Because you so much as bump into anybody in traffic, if they find out that you're, you're very wealthy, they're going to be uh, coming after you for every dime they can get. So as a result, everything people in that world do needs to be very carefully um, managed and protected and so on. And if you're selling real estate in New York and you're the Donald, uh, what do you call it? You have to, uh, you have to be careful. So if we accept that premise, then... Donald Trump probably had to have known 10 to 20 years ago where the globalists were heading, which begs the question, how could he most benefit from that coming reality, which is what anyone in his place would have done. Plus, we have to keep in mind, there's a number of subtleties when I use the word benefit, quote unquote benefit. 
because that can be financial, that can be influence, such as his being a kingmaker to prospective Republican or independent candidates, his kids' futures, his legacy, powerful people involving him in their activities, the list goes on. So, you know, as we know, he ran a dry run towards the presidency well before the 2016 campaign. And I've said before, I felt that that was, he was, he was testing out, he was running a beta, you know, he was running a, a test campaign to see what would work, what wouldn't work, who he needed to have on his team, et cetera. And that includes specifically, you know, people like Bannon and Roger Stone and Rudy Giuliani and others that, that were part of Donald Trump's team. So then the other thing is to go, to go there, quote unquote, um, does he care, quote unquote, about America and the average person? To me, on a certain level, he does. He doesn't want to see the United States go into the dumper, to paraphrase Archie Bunker from the old TV show, All in the Family. I and just got back from the delivery. Who are you talking about right now? Donald Trump. Okay, got it. And at the same time, you know, Trump is is an elite. There's no other way to say that. He's, he's a form form of elite at a certain level, and that means he operates at a level beyond the average person. And again, that just is. I once had at a private consulting practice in Washington D.C. I and my business partners, we had forty plus retired. C-level executives, former CEOs, CFOs, chief information officers, list goes on, from Fortune 100 firms. And they were retired. They wanted something to do. And we were more than happy to give them something to do. All of those folks are very candid with me in the, in the years I was working out there about their prior careers, what goes on in the boardroom, the politics of the executive suite, with a heavy focus on the degree to which the, the regular world, if you will, is just beyond them. Um, you know, we used to have people that once word got out what we were doing and who we were, um, people, uh, would come to us and try, try and work for us, which was fine. We had people knocking on the door and we would interview them and so on. But there were some people that, that are sitting there and they're unbelievably polished. And of course I would jokingly tell my colleagues later, you know, especially with, with male candidates, um, he had really good hair. You know, and they'd be wearing a tie from from the uh, private clothier called Pink, you know, that was like worth four or five hundred bucks. And the other senior executives we had working for us would say, you don't want to hire that person. They're, they're so insulated from reality. They've been in the boardroom for so long. You know, they would even jokingly say, I don't even think that person knows how to send an email because they've they've just had teams of minions taking care of them. So one of the things I always noticed about, about the Donald, based on that input I received from my, my former colleagues, which, which those, those experiences long preceded his, his presidency, is he's still very much a hands-on guy. Now, part of that is, is he wants to be in control of what's going on, and he doesn't want anybody lying to him, and he always wants to cross-check what he's been told by other people. But it kind of comes down to what, in my opinion, were his goals? Uh, why, you know... Even even DC insiders will often say, "Who who the heck in their right mind ever wants to become the president?" And the kind of crap you have to deal with. So, one of his goals, in my opinion, was is, is he inserted himself into the presidency or made that move on purpose? And part of his reason for doing so was is he had the intel and the data to know what the world's various globalists were trying to accomplish. And so he inserted himself into that universe to put a, put a block on it for several reasons. Because when I look back on 
where we were at the end of the Obama presidency and what the beginning of a Hillary presidency was going to look like, it still gives me chills when I think about it. I mean, there was there was stuff being rumored in D.C. I was still on the ground in D.C. in those days. And what what a Hillary presidency would look like just still gives me the chills. So by him becoming president when he did, it threw off all those timetables. And it forced them to have to deal with him and what he wants or wanted. And candidly, I also believe there there were many others backing him. There's no way he could have done that alone. And the evidence is very strong. So if not the governments of definitely players in Saudi Arabia and Israel, among others, who wanted to cut deals with him and who could benefit from his kind of presidency. So to me, that's one of the main reasons why when he was sworn in as president, and even even several weeks prior, uh, the media and others had just lost their minds and became unglued. And um, there's a couple of websites I go to that have data about the, the car industry and so on, one called Jalopnik. And Jalopnik's part of a, a series of different websites that cover everything from information technology topics that are kind of trending and whatever. I mean, Jalopnik was literally writing car review articles, trying to find any way to insert criticism of Donald Trump two weeks before he was even sworn in. Mm. And I remember at the time thinking, holy shit, they've just absolutely <clears throat> lost their mind. And the globalist reaction to him becoming president is kind of funny if you think about it. I mean, their egos are so nuclear. The mere idea that someone dared insert themselves into their global designs caused those types of reactions we saw in the media, the internet, among other international leaders, various protests. And I, I had another show where I talked about the fact that, you know, like with the 1960s, um, you know, you had protests against the Vietnam War for for what, 1966, 67, all the way into the 70s to at least 73, 74, almost 10 years. And what did you accomplish? Not a damn thing. So why the hell did you keep doing it? You know, unless somebody was funding it, somebody was directing it, et cetera. And it's the same thing here. A whole bunch of people are out there wearing funny hats, showing up to protests about a man that you know absolutely nothing about. I'm not saying good, bad, or indifferent. I'm just saying he's, he's been elected president of the United States You've got these massive protests about what specifically? Nothing. And what has changed since your protest? Nothing. So to use the language of Langley, Virginia, you're being run. You're being managed. They're, they're using your cell phone to tell you when to show up at a protest. It's, it's that simple. Now, I know some folks are going to look at this narrative I'm offering, and, and some of you might say things to the effect of, well, that, that makes him... That makes him as bad as they are, Vellis. Look at the number of people who've died from coof shots in global economic decline. Yep. And I understand that. I do. Um, and I'm not playing the moral relativist card. But we have to understand the global stakes we're dealing with here. When I was at General Electric, GE laid off 40,000 people from GE Capital in early 2000. And I mentioned this on a prior show. It was brutal. I mean, we, we, we had to go to Governor Pataki. We had GE lawyers. I was part of a team of people that were managing how to move those jobs into other countries, but we still had to meet with the lawyers about timing and this, that, and the other. They went to Governor Pataki and told him, you're going to have to get your social services really jacked up because it's going to hit you hard. And you're not going to say anything about it either because we're still paying a lot of tax money into your state, so keep your mouth shut. But we knew what the impact was going to be. I mentioned on another show, any major corporation, Fortune 100 or bigger, they always know. Large-scale layoff, they know how many suicides there's going to be. 
they know how many divorces there's going to be. They know how much mental care is going to be required for people that just their whole world's going to crash down. So if you look at it and using the word objective is equally loaded. But if you have to choose between General Electric at that time, all of GE going bankrupt versus those layoffs, then what do you think senior executives are going to do? And if you ever saw the movie Eastern Promises, there's a scene where Viggo Mortensen's character, you know, he's an undercover law enforcement guy. He's trying to infiltrate a Russian mafia family. And the son of the leader of the family says Viggo's character, he's accusing him of being gay because they're in a brothel and he won't, he won't go after any of the prostitutes. So Viggo's character reluctantly agrees. He has sex with this girl. And then he gives her tip money and a Russian icon. And that's rather unusual for several reasons because it's the, the mafia family runs the brothel. He doesn't need to tip the prostitutes. It's free, but he gives her money and an icon. Now there's a couple things about that. The first is, is that um, that's a very Eastern European sort of thing to do. He can't do anything about her situation. This isn't, a, this isn't an American situation where the cavalry comes riding in and saves her and the two of them get married and are happy and all of that. No, this is Eastern Europe. That shit doesn't happen here. He can't do anything about her situation, but he does what he can to ease her situation. So he provides her extra money and an icon to basically let her know he's praying for her. But that's, that's all he can do. Now, I'm not saying Donald Trump is trying to be that altruistic. The point I'm trying to make is when you're up against these kinds of forces, there's limits to what you can do. And it's also been said by many, the... Coof we faced since spring of 2020 was in many respects an intelligence test. Yeah. And again, I've said it here on the show many times. If you had to, you had to. I get it. Not criticizing anybody. You, everybody's got to do what they got to do based on the best detail they have at the time. But there's a lot of people out there in the leadership of the world who kind of take the attitude that if you got the mRNA shot instead of a vaccine, a true vaccine like the J&J shot or, or Novavax or similar, or got a shot of any kind. To the globalists, you failed the test. So in the context of Donald, we have to understand that part of what went on with Donald Trump's presidency is, is that it was an argument among elites, between elites about elite things. Or in Donald's case, my opinion, somebody who was trying to become more elite than he already was. Mm -hmm. Some have said it as well. Donald, Donald was trying to get more access to the bigger table up above the table he was already sitting at and the powers that be kind of folded their arms and said, hell no. But there is no Democrats versus Donald Trump. There is no Hillary or Bill Clinton versus Donald Trump or the Republicans for that. And I've talked about on several shows and, and, and I don't mean to keep repeating it. It's just, it's, it's an important takeaway. Bill Clinton was compromised before he even became a Rhodes scholar. That, that oh, day yeah. was out, out there. And we see various articles out there about people in the media are losing their minds over Durham's revelations. Of course, that's since died down because now they've got a big fat war, uh, wag the dog, to distract everybody's attention. And so there's a couple of ways of looking at, at that from my perspective. The first is there are those in the media who, despite their influence and their wealth, they simply don't understand real power and how it works. So for those right. people, in my opinion, they're reacting to the dog whistle that Donald Trump is the worst person ever. And to paraphrase Gus Demos, he's worse than Hitler. Um, second, what really got the elite jacked up is because they had to go after Donald at all. Uh, 
to, I know some of you might say, well, well, yeah, I'm sure it did anger them. It's kind of like some of the, the firms I worked for in Washington. I mean, I, I worked for a firm that was owned by the Carlisle Group where some pretty heavy people worked there and their whole mantra in meetings and things, folks, was no matter how bad the situation. And I was in a number of meetings where things, things were hot. I mean, bad hot. But no one in that room lost their shit. No, you know, like you hear about in certain companies where executives are screaming at people or somebody's yelling at somebody at a factory level saying, you know, well, you know we got to get those, those um, Chevy Camaros rolled out of the plant and I don't care how you get it done. That doesn't happen at that level. And it doesn't happen at that level for a very good reason. If you lose control, if you're prone to emotional outbursts or whatever, your own colleagues will get you out of that job. Because you have no Christian reason sitting in that chair. The whole reason why you're in that chair is you don't lose your shit. And for many of the world's elite, in my opinion, they lost their shit. This got them so mad that they, they lost their self-control. And all that does is make them even angry. The third thing is these revelations about who did what. I'm talking about Durham's findings of late. The tools they used, whether media or technology or Silicon Valley <coughs> It exposed the machinery behind the curtain with the great Oz. And that does get these people worked up. More and more people are realizing how rigged things are in many respects. And again, from a prior show I had about the Arizona recount, I had people in Arizona I knew personally who were involved in that. And you can't even pay attention to what Fox News said about it. you got to go out there and read the detail. But if you read that detail and talk to the right people, the true takeaway about the Arizona recount was the tools that were used to turn that election have been in place for decades. Sure. It's like absolutely. you got to think, yeah, you got to think broader than just, well, they went after Donald Trump. It, well, Trump, you know, the truth is a, <laughs> to quote Kosh from Babylon 5, the truth is a three edged sword. Your truth, their truth, and then the real truth the is truth. within the middle. Um, yeah, Donald played a role. And when Donald said, they're not coming after me, they're coming after you, they're trying to get to you through me, there, there was a form of truth to what he was saying. But if you really look at who was voting for Trump or the, the behaviors behind that voting, and this is when you get into what's called the Michigan School. These are the folks that study all the voting data, and I just have to pour through all of that stuff and watch, watch my eyes dry out. Um, many people voted for Donald Trump against the system against the parties, against whatever they were upset about, not necessarily for him. And that's okay in the context that many politicians have been elected for that reason. In fact, in Europe, it's kind of a thing that people will vote for a candidate because you don't like that candidate, but you're voting against the other one. And what happened with the election, as we saw, is that the public, you got to love, love them, love us. The public voted in such numbers for Trump that he was going to win. And so the globalists, if you will, they had to leverage every tool they had to prevent him from getting a second presidential term. But in doing so, it revealed a lot about how far down the rabbit hole goes. And it revealed a lot about the who and the why. And like my friends in Arizona told me, it also showed that this shit's been in place for 10 years or more, that they've been turning local elections it's just the, the votes were close enough. It was, it was easy to do. And that, the fact that the machinery got revealed, that did, in my opinion, cause both panic and anger among a lot of powerful people in the world. 
it was no longer a function that, well, you know, it's the usual topics I go with. Um, you know, UFOs, the Kennedys, what happened to Marilyn Monroe, the list goes on. Um, why can't I get a number of hot dogs that match the buns? All of these great conspiracies. Um, <laughs> the real truth was revealed. You didn't have to do what I did and go go find a, a third-hand copy with, with dog-eared pages of the book Compromised and some other, other little-known books where it's like, yes, the truth actually is in that book. It's footnoted. It's documented. It's footnoted. It was out in the open. People could see very clearly uh, made colored graphics that show the two trend lines. And then all of a sudden at a particular hour in five major U.S. states, Joe Biden's numbers, you know, go higher. Correct. Because, because what you're seeing is literally what happened. Somebody pressed a button and that's what happened. Yep. And so it happened, happened live on CNN. Yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> So, you know, factoring that and then moving into what's gone on with the coup of late, um, you know, and it's the same old thing that there's bits and pieces and, and, and getting the whole picture is, is uh, always going to be a little cloudy. But just these past, uh, you know, I was having some chats with some people on the Discord uh, channel these, these last two, few weeks about some of the revelations that are coming out about, about all things vaccine and related. And of course, you know, we had some people saying, no, that can't possibly be accurate. That's, that's just some, some BS out there that the uh, Moderna had patented a piece of AIDS virus that is actually showing up in the MRNA shots. And then just this morning, it's like, well, actually, so between what's going on with the world pandemic, and I use that word loosely, and Donald's election, the globalists are now consuming massive resources to try and keep this under control. And this also dovetails into Ukraine, among other things, because we're going to have some shit going down with China here shortly. And as was discussed on the roundtable yesterday, the, as I'm often fond of saying, whether, whether a true head fake or just things that are in the background that aren't being picked up by our media. You know, we have situations going on in South America right now with both Brazil and Argentina talking about basically moving themselves away from the great reset and moving themselves away from the international financial system, the way it is, even little El Salvador. I mean, oh, talk absolutely. about, talk about fighting above your weight. I mean, El Salvador is just out there swinging right now. I mean, between their, their, their comments about uh, cryptocurrencies uh, as well as the goings on in um, Ukraine. Plus the other thing too is, you know, I know a lot of people just kind of shrugged and said, well, you had to, you had to figure that, that, China and Iran and some other countries have said, well, this is an internal matter for Russia. You just should leave it be. I'm not even going to go anywhere near the, the Syrian support for Russia. But the other country who stepped in and said, you know, this is a Russian foreign policy matter was India. And that's that's not a minor player. Nope. So coming full circle on, on today's show, this is why I mentioned uh, from Wednesday's program to now, they're going to have to create crises. They're going to have to find ways to create emergencies, emergency rules, uh, various other things that they can use. And, you know, I'm joking, but I'm serious. Um, you know, we, we can now cue everything from uh, <laughs> UFOs to loss of power grids to, to God knows what all out there uh, that may be forthcoming, which is, you know, one, uh, something I said early on one of my first shows here, here Rogue, which was 
you know, there's an old saying in the Middle East that says, trust, trust in God, but tie up your camel. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing here when I was talking previously about what are your options and your resources for things on the Internet. You can use uh, the resources page on the Discord channel, uh, getting on Discord if you're if you're still not there. Um, the new rogue website that we have and, you know, and others that are in this, in this space, like I said, we can, we can all get into competitive marketing of, of how we're better than Mike Moore or others at a later time, somewhat jokingly. But I mean, right now we all need each other. We, we need Polly. We need Mike. We need everybody out there who's, who's doing their thing in their own way. Um, because we are, I mean, I've had so many people reach out to me lately just on this Ukraine thing. I mean, some of the, Topics that are a little heavier, like the Koof and others, in the sense that they know they're being lied to. So it's like, where do I go? But when they're they're back to watching the mainstream media again, and I'm I'm having conversations with people saying, it's like, well, but it's it's a war and it's pretty fluid. They don't have time to work up the spin yet. And I'm like, they worked up the sp- it's like wag the dog. They worked up the spin. They filmed that battle before you even saw it. In fact, I yeah. posted I posted something on on the Vela's page last night on Discord that. Um, this is no joke. There are photos that are showing what look like suburban areas or, or kind of modern city areas in Ukraine that have been struck by Russian forces. They're not. People have found that those are actually photos of, this is no shit, of Antifa and BLM yep. neighborhoods they burned back in 2020 up in Portland. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, I, I noticed the stop sign in the back is in English. I, I don't think Ukraine has stop signs that say stop. <laughs> <laughs> I might have maybe let it go if it said Alto, but that's about it. <laughs> I don't see Cyrillic on that sign. Right. Um, so it's like they're they're Jesus, man. They're they're still doing this shit. So it's like I've been telling folks, it's like get off. Well, I watched Fox News. Stop. I'm going. I'm going to get some jumper cables off the car battery here in a minute and attach them to you if you don't behave yourself. It's like you've got to go to Southfront. You've got to go to sources like us. You've got to go to these other places. I was joking with somebody last night on Discord that both kind of comparing notes about using uh, browsers and websites in foreign countries after two or three hops on our VPNs to try and get through all the, the bullshit that's out there trying to get in our way. So the last item I had for today, and, and just as an awareness, folks, again, the, there's the, uh, the conference call, if you will, on Discord on, on Sunday the 27th. And then next week, I'm still working out what day it'll be, but next week I'm also going to do two shows. with. And by the way, my, my praise to V and, and CJ as I always do, but um, I got to tell you, just, just me trying to put two shows together is, is, and I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even working right now. So it's like that, uh, <laughs> uh, that takes a lot out of me. So it's like, I, I give those guys credit for, for the fact that, you know, basically four or five days a week, they're, they're putting this stuff together. So my, I tip my hat to them. So the last item I had for today and the remaining time we had is, is this week's uh, song of resistance is from Romania. Uh, this was from, uh, we'll just play a minute or so of this, this song, did you send that in- over to me? I did. It's in the second email. If oh, not, yes, 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 yes. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. Go. I'll put it on a little chat thing here. So while he's he's pulling that up, this is yeah, a lot of the images and stuff in this song. This is from when Nic- Nicolae Ceausescu, Nicolae Ceausescu was overthrown as the communist leader of Romania. And even by Eastern European standards during the Cold War, Ceausescu was a real bastard. And... You'll notice uh, before he starts the video here, there's a big hole there on the Romanian flag. And the reason for that is, is that during the communist period, they had like a hammer and suckle kind of motif there in the center. So when the people rose up against Ceausescu, 
in the very late 80s. What they were doing was, is they were still patriotic Romanians. So what they did was, is they cut the centers out of the flags. So you saw a lot of this kind of like, it, it became symbolic in Romania and other Eastern European countries that this, this kind of like hole in the center thing uh, had a lot of symbolism behind it. Number one, it's like, we, we're still patriotic Romanian people fighting for Romania, but we're getting this, this ideological shit out of, out of the mix. We're getting it out of the center of, of this flag. The other symbolism that friends of mine in Eastern Europe have told me is, is that it also kind of symbolized to them, we as an ethnic people, we'll get by even if we've got to make a change in our own national government. We can cut out the center and we will still survive. So V, if you'll go ahead and just play a little a little bit of this. Absolutely. So the other thing, folks, um, I noticed some of you have been commenting about the audio. I apologize for that. And like I said on a prior show, that's how you know we're real. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, some of the quirky stuff about our show. Um, I've got one of those big blue uh, brand mics here on my desk, and I've been trying to adjust the um, the gain. So I, you, I you know what you got to do? I, I, have a, I have some similar. My older mic setup was that. You could unscrew the ball from the tripod. And then you could actually hook it up to like a mic stand that you could attach to your desk, like an adjustable one, and then put that closer to you. And then all the audio issues go away. Okay, I may, I may be, I may be on Amazon. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, I uh, on my last show, in fact, folks, I had to put some headphones on to kind of uh, deal with with my own self imposed uh, audio problems here. So I, I apologize, and I, I am trying to look at the microphone. Like and also get headphones because while you're talking, you can hear yourself, so you know exactly if you're too loud. Or oh yeah, too yeah. I've got the I've got the U.S. Navy quality headphones on here. I look like G. Gordon Liddy with these on. But uh, nice. <laughs> so that's uh, that's our Friday show. V, did you have any thoughts, commentary? No, I think you did a great job. I think there's a lot of things that we need to uh, keep uh, abreast of as the situation is you know fast and fluid right now. Folks, we're, we're witnessing a momentous, momentous thing. I mean, the Western media, I've looked at British media, French, you know, French media, German media, American media, Canadian media, Australian, New Zealand. They're all saying Russia invaded Ukraine. This is an act of aggression. Putin's behaving like a Nazi, blah, 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 blah. 
we're witnessing the end of the old world order and the emergence of the new new world order, one based on multipolarity. And there is a huge, huge difference. There is, there is in, an, in, a, in a multipolar world, things are more fluid and less predictable. Um, one of the guests yesterday made a comment that caught my attention. I'd, I'd seen it in one other place, I forget where, um, where someone had said, we, we may be looking not at the Cold War as the Cold War as we knew it, a war, well, it's still kind of a war of ideologies, but that basically we could be looking at a future where the world breaks down into blocks that you've got a block of countries that are part of the Great Reset. You've got others who are not. Um, the the events in Ukraine, and like I said, you know, this is part of the challenge with Ukraine folks. And I, you know, I've said this on the show many times. I mean, if I wouldn't use necessarily the word wrong, but it's like if if we're wrong or our or we are off, we're we're off. Um, but I mean, I'm not sitting at the NSA with satellite information. And you know, the other thing too is I made a comment on a prior show where I said Russia is slow walking. This invasion, this is the same country that invaded Afghanistan so fast, we didn't know they were there until they were there. Right. So it also lends credence to the idea that that Putin has been communicating, not saying good, bad, or indifferent. A lot of people are dying here, even if this was the, the correct action for Russia to pursue. Um, the takeaway is that um, he has been broadcasting for some time. This is, this is where we're going. I got 190,000 troops on the border, I think. You know, nobody really picked up until it was too late that he also had troops sitting in Belarus that, that came across that side of the border as well. But they've moved so fast and they've they've effectively destroyed the entire Ukrainian Air Force and the list goes on. Now, I mean, the Ukrainians still have some, some very good shoulder launched uh, called man pads, missiles that have caused quite a few problems for Russian armor and similar. But the point here is this is not 1943, 1944, and we're trying to march to Berlin. This, this is a tragic situation for all concerned that this even had to happen. But it's like Putin has been putting people on notice for, for basically a couple of months. I would even be of the opinion based on what was coming out of the American press. I would not be surprised if the Russians were talking in the clear, their military forces. By that, I mean that communications and field deliveries and medical supplies being brought to where their staging areas were, that, that they were talking, you know, in just non, non-encrypted Russian to each other to put the West on notice. We, we are not goddamn kidding. And you keep encroaching NATO on the borders of Russia for what? I think out of, out of Vladimir Putin's speech, uh, I did hear his speech. I saw the translation and also picked up as was telling V privately in a separate conversation he and I had, you know, I was listening for the right Russian words because some of the translation didn't, didn't quite catch it. But one of the biggest things he said was that back in the 1990s, he asked Bill Clinton flat out, why not just let Russia join NATO? We won't necessarily become like the global military, but Eastern and Western Europe can work together because all of our militaries have certain experiences that can come in handy, whether for natural disasters or post um, conflicts in other countries. You know, I mean, obviously the Italians and the Austrians are very good mountaineers. Uh, the, the, the Swedes and the Norwegians and the Finns are very good in, in uh, cold climates, as are the Russians. Um, the, the other militaries around the world are very good in very specialized areas. Why don't we work together? And Clinton's response to, to Putin was, was not even really Bill's answer. It was more like what Bill was told to do. And the answer was no. So it's like, well, 
You have this giant military alliance. You created it to deal with the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union no longer exists. And Russia's trying to catch its breath along with all of Eastern Europe as, as we rebuild our economies into something that's more free market oriented. In fact, is more free market oriented than all of you in the West. Yep. So why does NATO still exist? And if NATO still can exist, then, then let us join. What's the problem? And it's like, well, you don't understand. See, we have to have an enemy. Yeah. And you're it. So there's a lot of smoke to clear out here. Um, Starbucks 6319, you're actually right. Uh, this is a hell of an opportunity for Turkey. Because yep. nobody plays the middle the way Turkey does. So we'll see what Erdogan does with the current situation. But Absolutely. Well, very anyway. well said. We have uh, Harley next. So, folks, please keep it locked and loaded here. Harley Schlanger is next right away. Velas, thank you so much, buddy. Awesome breakdown. Folks, catch him over at the Discord. You need to get on Discord. Email CJ, CJ at roguenews.com or support at roguenews.com. And we'll see t- that you get in. And with that being said, any last words, fellas? No, I'm good. Thanks. Thank you all and enjoy your weekends. Harley is right next. Cheers.